This is Edward Reeb's Buddhist Books Podcast, episode 79. Uh, 78 if you're on the YouTube, because there's one extra on the audio-only podcast. Um, it is also part 18 of the Tipitaka recitals. The Tipitaka, that means three baskets in Pali. You might be more familiar with the Sanskrit Tripitaka, and on account of the Proto-Indo-European roots of both Sanskrit and English, uh, tree sounds a little more like three, right? Um, so if this is your first time ever seeing me, though, then I would recommend mm, clicking here instead. If you're on the YouTube, then you see me pointing. Uh, that will take you to the Tripitaka playlist. You can start with episode one. It's a better place to start. However, if you are definitely here for the Sangha Dicesa, uh, Sutta Vibhanga Sangha Dicesa is what we're beginning today. Um, last time we finished with the Parajika, which are the defeats, the four big rules that you're not supposed to break. Don't kill, don't have sex, don't steal, and don't pretend that you're more enlightened than you are. Not in that order. Um, this is formal meeting, so I will be finding out what it's about in real time, as you do. It's sort of like a reaction video, this being YouTube and all. Um, it's also sort of like an audiobook for those of you on the podcast. Uh, but with a, a little bit of extra stuff. For example, uh, for today, um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but I promise I won't take too long and we'll get to the reading very shortly. But I want to introduce a very special guest, Vimala Mitra. Now, uh, Vimala Mitra, I have my notes here, Vimala Mitra was one of the eight teachers of Padmasambhava. And here we're talking about um, Vajrayana. This is in the realm of Vajrayana Buddhism. And then the reading, though, is from early Buddhism. So we'll get back to that. Okay, so Vimala Mitra was one of the eight teachers of Padmasambhava. And so we're back to Vimala Mitra right now, right? We're seeing Vimala Mitra. This one? Um, okay, so uh, before he was Padmasambhava's teacher, he was a student of Buddha Guhya, as well as Jnana Sutra and Sri Simha. Now, there's not a ton of information about Vimala Mitra, but given that Buddha Guhya taught at Nalanda University in Rajgir, you remember Nalanda University? Yes, just like that, except you know, obviously, before it was destroyed. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, they just saw the ruins of Nalani University. Anyway, so we can safely say that Vimala Mitra spent at least some time in Rajgir. Now let's go to the map. So we'll make that the starting point of Vimala Mitra's journey, just for fun. This is going to be fun, right? Sometime in the late 8th or early 9th centuries, depending on, uh, you know, where you look, um, he traveled to Tibet around the time of the second Dharma king, Trisong Detsen. Being a scholar monk and good with languages, he is said to have translated the Vajrayana Sutras, or at least a great many of them, into Tibetan. Then, after a time, uh, he continued east and settled near Wutai Shan Mountain in China. 
Here you can see on the map his journey continued, so quite a journeyer, right? Where he translated the same Vajrayana Sutras into Chinese. Now, it was right around this time that Kukai, later known as Kobodayashi, uh, was said to have traveled to China and learned of Vajrayana Buddhism there and taken copies of the uh, sutras back with him to Japan, the Chinese copies. So I think it's pretty safe to say that Kobodayashi uh, knew Vimalamitra, and they, maybe they met, or uh, maybe he even copied the very sutras, the Chinese sutras that Vimalamitra had translated. Um, so that's interesting, making Vimalamitra instrumental, probably, in not only the establishment of uh, Vajrayana in Tibet, but Vajrayana in Japan in the form of Shingon Buddhism. So Vimalamitra passed away in China, and about 150 years after he passed away, so the story goes, this particular statue was made of him uh, during the Song Dynasty. Then, about 800 years later, a certain Dan Cleveland Reeb, see, uh, yeah, that's better, um, was uh, working for the Standard Oil Company of New York and traveling all over western China from monastery to monastery. You can see some of the monasteries there. Those are his pictures. Um, teaching the monks the wonders petroleum-based uh, lamp oil as an alternative to the whale oil uh, that they had been using for centuries. On one hand, of course, this is terrible, petroleum and all. On the other hand, he may have saved more than a few whales in the process. Anyway, after, uh, so this was around 1919 onward into the early 20s. After spending uh, so much time traveling to so many Buddhist temples and monasteries, Dan, who used to teach Sunday school at a Catholic church in Texas, was becoming more and more enamored with Buddhism. Here you can see him with his head shaved like so many of the monks. I'm not sure exactly the story there, but I like to think it was one of the monks that shaved it. Anyway, he began collecting priceless Buddhist antiquities. Huh? Again, you may say this is terrible, but keep in mind that uh, if he hadn't collected those, uh, they very likely would have been destroyed by the People's Liberation Army a few decades later. Anyway, this statue of Vimalamitra was among those uh, which he collected, uh, as you saw in the picture. Here uh, it is on his mantle in Shanghai back in the 1930s, though I do apologize for the quality of the picture or lack thereof of quality, as this is a picture of a picture which I took 12 years ago. As at some point, I'll find the original and scan it properly. Uh, so if we continue uh, the journey of the statue as, as the journey of Vimalamitra, then we can see that he uh, shifted from Wu Tai Shan to Shanghai. The French Quarter, specifically. All right. Anyway, after the Japanese invasion, uh, the, you know, World War II and all, and subs the subsequent animosity between uh, Japan and America at the time, in 1940, Dan, his wife, Harriet, 
and their infant son, my dad, John Dan, had to leave Shanghai abruptly. So uh, Dan packed his things, including this statue, and boarded the USS President Coolidge, which you can see here in some rough waters, which uh, later on didn't do so well. There you can see the USS President Coolidge at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, or the folks on YouTube can see. For those listening, it ended up at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, thank goodness for me, that was after it uh, brought my dad and, and grandparents across safely to San Francisco. So, if we go back to the map, we can continue Vimala Mitra's journey from Shanghai to San Francisco in 1940. Uh, so, uh, they settled in Sierra Madre, where my dad remained and where I grew up. Dan passed away in 1946, and the statue passed on to my dad. Well, actually, my dad was six at the time, so it was with him and his mom, and eventually it was uh, with my dad along with a few others. Though most of Dan's collection ended up with his sister Mary and is now in the care of her descendants in New Zealand. So, my dad taught me a form of Tibetan tantric meditation when I was young, as I've mentioned before. If you'd like, you can click here and uh, hear an audio recording of me teaching it to others back when I used to do that sort of thing. Uh, my dad passed away in 1993, and his wife, my stepmother Sue, uh, felt moved to keep his ashes inside of this statue. And from the age of 15, I'm 43, I think now, uh, from the age of 15 onward, um, I kept this statue with my dad's ashes in it, sort of like a, a devotional Buddhist statue as well as an ancestor thing, right? Um, I kept it center stage in whatever sort of sacred space I was keeping during the 25 years which followed, as you can see. Some images here of the Buddha center stage and one of me in my bathrobe before going to work uh, meditating in front of it. Uh, if you're on YouTube watching this, that is. For those listening, you might want to check out this video later uh, because, you know, uh, there's a lot of visual stuff happening if you have some time. Now, uh, all of that time, I had simply thought of this as a statue of Lord Buddha. And I only found out a few years ago from an expert in these things that this is, in fact, the Indian scholar monk Vimalamitra. He is, of course, considered by some to have attained Buddhahood, so on a certain level, I wasn't wrong. He just isn't Siddhartha Gautama. Anyway, I eventually moved to India. There's a longer story there, but I'm shortening it so we can get to today's reading. Now, where is my coffee? Now that that's all sorted out. Uh, so just before Priyal and I were married in a small Hindu temple down in Tamil Nadu, she felt it appropriate, and I also was moved to perform the Asti Visarjan ceremony for my dad and to pour his cremated remains into the river Ganges, as is known in the English-speaking world. Ganga is its name here in India. Um, this is a ritual intended to allow my dad to ascend to the next level or to attain mukti or nirvana in a Hindu paradigm. Um, you can see the pictures of uh, after pouring the ashes in, I'm washing the inside of the statue in the Ganges there in Rishikesh. 
And so there you have it. If we go back to the map, you can see Vimala Mitra finally, after having left India 1,300 years ago, returning to India. Or at least this statue returned. Um, sort of poetic, I think. I felt then, the, during, I felt that during the pouring of the ashes ceremony, that on some level it wasn't just my dad that was involved, but Vimala Mitra as well. Like it was a kind of completion, coming full circle, if you will. Perhaps this sounds uh, like a lot of hocus pocus, but that's Vajrayana for you. Maybe. So now you know the story behind this statue of Vimala Mitra. So we'll dial it back to the original pre-sectarian early Buddhism and begin our reading for today. <clears throat> Sangha Decesa One. At one time, the Enlightened One, the Lord, was staying at Savati in the Jetta Grove in Anatta Pindika's park. Now, at that time, the venerable Sayaka, Sayasaka led the Brahma life, dissatisfied. Because of this, he was thin, wretched, his color bad, yellowish, the veins showing all over his body. The venerable Udayan saw the venerable Sayasaka, thin, wretched, his color bad, yellowish, his veins showing all over his body. Seeing him thus, he said to the venerable Sayasaka, quote, Reverend Sayasaka, why are you thin, wretched, three dots? the veins showing all over your body. Perhaps it is that you, Reverend Sayasaka, lead the Brahma life dissatisfied? It is so, your reverence, he said. Now then you, Reverend Sayasaka, eat as much as you'd like, sleep as much as you'd like, bath as much as you'd like, B-A-T-H. Uh, eating as much as you like, sleeping as much as you like, bathing as much as you like. If dissatisfaction arises in you and passion assails your heart, then emit semen using your hand. <clears throat> but, your reverence, are you sure that is suitable to act like this? Yes, your reverence, I do this. Udayan does this. All right. Uh, uh, then the venerable Sayasaka ate as much as he liked, slept as much as he liked, bathed as much as he liked, but having eaten as much as he liked, slept as much as he liked, bathed as much as he liked, dissatisfaction arose and passion assailed his heart. So he emitted semen using his hand. Then, in a short time, the venerable Sayasaka was nice-looking, with rounded features of a bright complexion and clear skin. 
So the monks who were the friends of the venerable Sayasaka spoke thus to the venerable Sayasaka, quote, Formerly, Reverend Sayasaka, you were thin, wretched, of a bad color, but now at present you are nice-looking, with round features, of a bright complexion, and clear skin. Why now do you take medicine, Reverend Sayasaka? Or make medicine, more like, uh, end quote. Uh, quote, I do not take medicine, your reverences, but I am eating as much as I like, I am sleeping as much as I like, I am bathing as much as I like, then eating as much as I like, sleeping as much as I like, bathing as much as I like. If satisfaction arises in me and passion assails my heart, I emit semen using my hand. End quote. <clears throat> quote, but do you, Reverend Sayasaka, eat the gifts of faith with the very same hand as that which you use to emit semen? End quote. Yes, your reverences, he said. Those who were modest monks became annoyed, vexed and angry, saying, how can the venerable Sayasaka emit semen in this way? Then these monks, having rebuked the venerable Sayasaka in various ways, told this matter to the Lord. Then the Lord, on this occasion, in this connection, having had the order of monks convened, asked the venerable Sayasaka, quote, Is it true, as is said, that you... Sayasaka, using your hand, emit semen? End quote. It is true, Lord. The Enlightened One, the Lord, rebuked him, saying, quote, It is not fit, foolish man. It is not becoming. It is not suitable. It is not worthy of a recluse. It is not right. It is not to be done. Foolish man, have I not uttered Dhamma in many ways for the stilling of passion? And not for the sake of passion taught Dhamma for the sake of being devoid of the fetters? And not for the sake of being bound? Taught Dhamma for the sake of being without grasping? And not for the sake of grasping? Sorry. How can you, foolish man, well, Dhamma is taught by me for the sake of passionlessness, strive after passion. How can you, well, Dhamma is taught for the sake of being devoid of fetters, strive after being bound. How can you, well, Dhamma is taught for the sake of being without grasping, strive after grasping. Foolish man. Have I not taught Dhamma in various ways for the stilling of passion? Taught Dhamma for the subduing of conceit? For the restraint of thirst? For the elimination of attachment? For the cutting through the round of becomings? For the destruction of craving? For passionlessness? 
for stopping, for waning. Foolish man, have I not declared in various ways the destruction of the pleasures of the senses, declared the full understanding of ideas of the pleasures of the senses, declared the restraint of the thirst for pleasures of the senses, declared the elimination of thoughts of pleasures of the senses, declared the allaying of the fever of pleasures of the senses. Foolish man, it is not for the benefit of unbelievers, nor for the increase in the number of believers. It is, foolish man, to the detriment of unbelievers as well as of believers, and it causes wavering in some. Then the Lord, having rebuked the venerable Sayasaka in various ways, on account of his difficulty in maintaining his state, said, three dots. Thus, monks, this course of training should be set forth. Intentional emission of semen is a matter entailing a formal meeting of the order. Thus, this course of training for monks was made known to the Lord. More like by the Lord? Right? Hmm. Now, at that time, having eaten abundant food, went to sleep, thoughtless and careless, while they were sleeping, thoughtless and careless. One of them emitted semen as the result of a dream. These were remorseful and said, quote, the course of training has been made known by the Lord. It says that intentional emission of semen is a matter requiring a formal meeting of the order. And because of a dream, one of us did this. Did this as in parentheses. Now, is this intention permitted? What now if we have fallen into an offense requiring a formal meeting of the order? And quote, they told this matter to the Lord. He said, quote, monks, this was the intention, but it does not apply. Monks, this course of training should be set forth. Intentional emission of semen, except during a dream, is an offense requiring a formal meeting of the order. End quote. Loophole. <clears throat> Excuse me, little frog in my throat there. Intentional means a transgression committed knowingly, consciously, deliberately. Semen means there are ten kinds of semen. Three dots. In this case, the Polytext Society. <laughs> the Polytext Society's uh, translator I.B. Horner um, is not putting three dots there because something was said before because nothing was said before about the ten kinds of semen. He's putting three dots there because uh, he's British. Didn't want to translate the ten kinds of semen. 
That's my educated guess about that. Anyway, emission means the removal from the place is called emission. Epidemis. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> Except during a dream means setting the dream aside. Okay. Offense requiring a formal meeting of the order means the order places him on probation on account of the offense. It sends him back to the beginning. It inflicts the manata discipline. It rehabilitates. It is not many people. It is not one man. Therefore, it is called an offense which in the earlier as well as the later stages requires, requires being in parentheses, a formal meeting of the order. A synonym for this class of offense is a work. Therefore, again, it is called in open parentheses, an offense which in the earlier as well as the later stages requires, end parentheses, a formal meeting of the order. All right. Um, okay, then here it says, the whole of three, mm -hmm, because of the outspokenness and crudeness which it contains and which seem to be inseparable from early literatures, appears unsuitable for incorporation in a translation designed principally for Western readers. <laughs> oh, boy. I've got to get my hands on a translation of... Uh... <laughs> he wouldn't translate. He just came out and said it. It's too crude. I can't talk about it. You talked about having sex with a severed head in the mouth, dude. What what could possibly be so crude that you're not going to be refusing to translate it for people who bought this for money because they wanted to know what it says? Wow. Wow. The earliest books of Buddhism censored by the Polytech Society because it's too crude. I, I just, I'm sorry, guys. I, I have to know. When was this translated? 1938. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, so it's based on an earlier translation from the 1870s and 1880s. Okay, well, that makes sense. But guys, 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 mm, new editions. We need new editions for the 21st century. We need to know what, they, what these wacky monks were doing that was worse than masturbating into the mouth of a severed head that you had to leave out. Wow. Wow. That today, today begins my search, my quest to fill in what goes here. And I will let you know when I do. But for now, sadly, we must move on to whatever comes after that. He aims at it, makes the effort, it is omitted, an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. He aims at it, makes the effort, it is not omitted, a grave offense. Okay, so if he masturbates but doesn't ejaculate, then it is a grave offense, but does not entail a formal meeting of the order. You remember, um, 
I don't even want to talk about it. My God. See, he talked about like the guy who killed a little girl through molesting. And that entailed a formal meeting of the order. And, uh, and he was kicked out. So it was both, I think. Right? Whew. Okay. All right. What's next? He aims, but does not make the effort. It is not omitted. It is not an offense. So if he just kind of holds it and points it, but he doesn't, uh, you know, I don't want to simulate masturbation. You know, it's a sort of, sort of crude thing that should not be done for Western YouTube viewers, right? Because we're very uh, stupid. All right. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. He aims at it right. He does not aim at it, does not make the effort. It is it is omitted, not an offense. So if he just sort of, oh, well, then it's not an offense. He didn't try, it just came out. He does not aim at it, does not make the effort. It is not omitted. There is there not an offense, right? Okay. There is no offense if he was dreaming, if there was no intentional emission, if he was mad, unhinged, in pain, or a beginner. So many loopholes, my God. Okay. A dream, excrement or urine, reflection, and about hot water. Medicine, itching, the way, the bladder, a hot room for bathing purposes, making an effort, and a novice, and asleep, the thigh, he pressed with fists. In the air, firmness he meditated on. An aperture he hit with a stick. In the stream, muddy water. Running, a twist of flowers, a lotus, sand, mud, water, lying down and with the thumbs. All right. At one time. While a certain monk was dreaming, he emitted semen. He was remorseful and said, What now if I have fallen into an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order? That monk told this matter to the Lord. He said, There is no offense for the monk because he was dreaming. Okay, here comes another translator's note. <clears throat> the reasons for not including the remainder of this translation are the same as those for not including three above. So all those things that we listed, those cool things, the muddy water. Okay, okay. I have to get a real translation of this. I have to. I have to know what what was so unsuitable that Western audiences couldn't even know what it said. Told, not at all told, is the first offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Well, since that is the end, as far as this translation goes, of the Sangha di Sessa one. um... We're running a bit early. Well, it's okay. These can be half an hour, right? They don't all have to be long. Um, 
Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, do one and two or one and part of two. So we'll just say it's one. It's uh, we finished Sangha Decessa one. And uh, I, for one, am very disappointed with the Polytech Society of the 1880s. But I understand it was the 1880s. And then in the 1930s, he just doesn't. I, Mr. Ivy Horner. God rest his soul, no doubt, um, opted to just go along with the decisions of the Polytech Society in the 1870s and the 1880s and leave it all out. So now I have to uh, go on a search and find part one of the formal meetings or whatever of, uh, of the, of the Sutta Vibhanga, the, the rules analysis of the Tipitaka. Is it Vinaya Pitaka? The rules basket? I think so. I think so. Well, I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have to revisit that. We'll have to do a special episode at some point in the future if I'm able to fill in the gaps that were intentionally left out because they were just too crude. More crude, apparently, than sex with a severed head's mouth. Wow. Wow. I, inquiring minds, want to know, right? Uh, special thanks to our special guest, Vimala Mitra, doing the, notice the, uh, the sign of good old, what's his name? See his hands? In the same position as Maitreya? No, it's not. No, it's not. That's, Maitreya's doing the uh, Vibrachana thing. Huh. Yeah, no, he's doing this the the Amoga CD. I always thought that by that that Maitreya was doing the uh, doing this. That's what I what I had learned is that the Buddha yet to come. Well, anyway, maybe my teacher was a little a little uh, high on life that day. I know I was high on weed at the time. Um, if you'd like, that's one of our conversations. One of the one of the many. Actually, I pointed to a playlist. Those are all of our conversations. That's my dad's old friend, Kes Fry. Interesting story. So uh, in 1966, my dad was studying hermeticism, and he was coloring the tarot deck and all that stuff with the builders of the Adidam, for those of you who are familiar with that. And then Kes Fry uh, came over, and they met through a mutual friend, and Kes saw my dad's statues that he had inherited from his dad. And he said, "Oh my gosh, you've got this, you've got that, and you know that's you know." And, and it turned out that Kess was deeply—he was the one. No, well, anyway, yeah, Kess was uh, was was deeply into the path of uh, Vajrayana Buddhism, of Tibetan Tantric Buddhism. And um, I don't know if it was at that time or maybe it was a little bit later. He ended up in an ashram that was a Hindu ashram, but he had gotten permission from the Abbot? That's not the right word. The Roshi? That's not the right word. The guru, let's say. Um, he said, I, I want to stay in this uh, ashram and, and live the vegetarian life and do all that sort of thing and the yoga and everything. But instead of doing a Hindu practice, I'm going to be doing my own uh, Tibetan tantric practice. And the guru apparently was fine with that. And so he lived for 10 years in an ashram in Colorado um, in that way. Uh, but anyway, so he... 
he put my dad on the path, basically, initially. And together, they went and uh, met the Karmapa, who put the strings on my dad's Dorja. And my dad introduced Kess to Hermetic Kabbalah. And Kess went on to write many books uh, referencing Hermetic Kabbalah and talking about uh, contemplative prayer, Thomas Keating in the context of Hermetic Kabbalah. And uh, so there was a nice, that was a nice sort of meeting of minds there. Uh, Kess with the Vajrayana Tibetan Buddhism and my dad with the, uh, with the sort of Hermetic uh, Kabbalah. And then they met and they both kind of became blended flowers, you know, in their, in their spiritual paradigms, sort of Vajrayana Buddhist and sort of, sort of uh, you know, Hermetic. In 1966, so people who look at me and say, hmm, that's odd, there's like maybe three or four other people, folks like me, that that uh, generally blend these two things. Um, I'm I'm sort of enacting uh, and out, outwardly enacting, having gone from the one to the other. But they were it was always both. Um, all my life, it was always both. So. Anyway, enough about that. Um, I hope you check out that uh, that last class I ever taught at my old uh, temple in Los Angeles. Uh, I taught from 1997 until 2013. That's a lot. That's a long time, isn't it? Is it? I don't know how long that is. 16 years? Yeah, it's about 16 years. Um, uh, weekly, mostly weekly. There was like maybe a year or so where I wasn't teaching, but mostly for that 16 years weekly classes. And that was that recording, the, the 92 and a half last sanctuary, Esoterra Nerd, uh, that I just uploaded today actually, uh, was the last of those, the last of those classes. Um, and then I taught one more class at Sal's shop in Burbank, and I taught one more, well, I taught a workshop at Sal's place. It was five weeks and then I taught for 10 days, basically, in South Africa. And then that was it. That was then I retired from teaching. And you've heard me mention on here, I'm not a teacher. Some people didn't like that. Some people were like, what? I thought you were an ordained, you know, it's like, whatever. I could claim that I'm self-initiated, that by, by virtue of my father and my grandfather, whatever, this and that. But I, I, I'm not interested in, uh, in that. I'm much more interested in just being a fellow human being on on the path somewhere. Sharing this, this, it's all about this. It's not about this guy, right? Yeah, it's a little bit sharing of personalities and whatever. I've gone on for too long. So that was that was a fun exploration of the Victorian British hang-ups that, uh, that, that prevented you and I today from finding out what the early Buddhist scriptures say. But we have an idea. It's fun. Thank you all for going on this ride with me. At times it's fun, funny, interesting, bizarre. Other times horrifying, other times frustrating, other times boring. But today, I think was today was all right. So, shall we close in the usual manner? Let's uh, turn off the noisemaker. Make less noise, please. All right. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, 
we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time.